If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to Mainstream by Sifter. Uh, this is the second part of our Game of the Year episodes, our look back at the games of 2021 and the ones that made the biggest impact on us, uh, from big, small, AAA, whatever it ends up being, uh, the games that we're going to be thinking about for a long time and maybe suggesting to our friends. My name is Gianni, I'm the executive producer of Sifter, and joining me on part two of Mainstream's Game of the Year is Adam Christou. Hello. And Daniel Lang. Hey, everyone. We're going to jump into our titles we've picked right now. Let's go. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. This is Mainstream. So, Gianni, let's let's actually start with you. Um, what is your game of the year? What cut through for you in 2021? For me, there are actually completed a lot of games um, and the big change for me was being able to play games remotely using remote play I think I talked a little bit about this in our last year's episode but that was the way that I played majority of games not much has changed in that time the handheld format of playing these games is the way that I can complete them these days I don't have time to sit in front of a TV as much as I would like to um, so you know all of these games that were suited to that are the ones that I lent towards so lots of the sort of um, People would describe them as sort of first-person uh, narrative games. Things like Call of the Sea was a game that I played this year. Um, but the one that really st- stood out to me was one that has been sticking out for a lot of people. It's a game that I think uh, a lot of people have enjoyed. It's been critically acclaimed, um, come, and it's come out from a small team in Australia, which is fantastic, uh, and that is Modern Storytellers The Forgotten City. Now, if you have never come across this game before, I'll give you a little bit of background. So it originally started out as a mod for the Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Um, uh, Nick Pierce, who is one of the main developers of this game, uh, was making a mod for this game. It was critically acclaimed. It it actually ended up winning an Australian Writers Guild Award for its narrative design. Um, And then the idea was had to turn it into a full-fledged game. Uh, the the general idea uh, sort of stayed the same, but the the context and the, the modernization moved into a new context. So basically the premise is you're a modern-day uh, person and, and you're thrown back into the past 2,000 years ago uh, and you find yourself in a subterranean Roman uh, city, a little town really, um, and you are stuck in this time loop and you basically have to solve uh, the 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 puzzle, which is there is a, a set of golden rules. They're basically like sins, you know, thou shall not steal, thou shall not kill. Uh, and, but if anyone in the town commits any of these crimes, 
the entire town gets punished and is turned immediately to gold. And, um, you know, it's a pretty simple premise. Uh, it's, it's quite small in terms of, you know, characters. We're talking about 20 people in total. Um, but for me, it was a game that really, um, uh, really captured me because it, it, it ticked a lot of the boxes in terms of those larger scale games that I probably wouldn't find time to be able to complete these days. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a nice, tight narrative experience that was really clever and actually really rewarded you for thinking outside of the box in a way that I'm, I was really impressed with. Mm, like a big part of this game that I think about is that it sounds a lot like a detective mystery that you're you're kind of unraveling and unspooling, but kind of housed within a, a really cool setting that that really explores ancient history. And I, I think that's been a lot of what people have taken away from it is just writing and setting and mystery solving and puzzles are really great in this game. Yeah, the the design of the world in which you play uh, the 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 town that you're you're in in the Forgotten City is is designed to be as historically accurate as possible. Um, the developers worked with historians to try and really capture the the vibe of what it is, but it just feels like a real place. Uh, you know, the characters, uh, you know, you get small insights into their life, but they've got pretty um, reasonable motivations. You know, you can find the guy who's a bit of a grifter who's really trying to just make money the most amount of money he possibly can. You can find uh, people who've fled persecution in their homelands and found themselves as part of the the Roman Empire at the you know beginning of uh, the uh, common era, um, and you know you can find early uh, you know Christians who found themselves persecuted at a time of um, you know change in the Roman Empire as well. So you know what I really liked about it is that it feels like those larger scale quests that you would find in a game like Fallout or or Skyrim. Think about like you know those those um, thieves guild quests or the um, assassins you know the Brotherhood quests or anything like that those larger scale quests that you would complete multi-stage um but the the benefit of it is you 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 know you build on each time you go through so you know there isn't a a huge punishment for experimentation um and you know if you think of a clever way to solve a problem and uh you're able to 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 pull it off within the time limit um you're able to to do that and that's what i really 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 liked about it is that it really ticked that box and you could see the influence that um the Bethesda uh, RPGs have had on this game, um, and it really felt like a really nice, succinct experience in that way. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious about the time loop element of this game because I think that they're, um, you know, one of the big struggles of creating a game that's built around like a set period of time and you repeating it is like how do you make repetitions interesting? How do you catch yourself back up to that point where you left off in a previous loop? Like I think of the Outer Wilds and there was no real catch up with their time loop mechanics, but it was your knowledge of the world and how it functioned that allowed you to kind of like make progress and speed through things that you'd already solved in a previous loop. 12 minutes had some like elements which were unsuccessful in how you speed through its loop. But how does the Forgotten City handle that kind of opening point of the time loop where it's like you're back in again And like, how do I avoid going through the minutiae of like setting things up like dominoes before I can explore new things that I uncovered in a previous loop? Well, quite cleverly, what it does is it actually incentivizes you solving a bunch of the small elements of this, um, which actually helps you unlock a next part of uh, of the quest, basically. So there's a character called Galerius, um, who you talk to pretty early on, um, and you basically say, hey, hang on a second, this is a time loop. Here are all the things I need you to do. And you literally list off all the things that you've completed. And Galerius, as soon as you re-enter the time loop, will run off and complete a bunch of those tasks. Um, you know, And that is a really clever way to get you back up to speed, but it also is required in order to progress. Salve, friend. 
Mind telling me who you are and what you're doing with that bow on your back? Oh, that sounds serious. I'm listening. Yulia? Oh no. All right, I can do that. Lucretia, no time to explain. I'm supposed to give you the Sylphium resin for Yulia. What? Quick, give it here. I'm just going to help her swallow this. I think she's going to be all right. Galerius, you're amazing. How did you know? I was just doing what the new lady told me. And, you know, what's cool about this is there are, you know, multiple ways to finish this game. There are four, uh, four endings um, that you can, you can complete. Um, and, you know, one of the endings is by, by basically building up on all those little pieces of knowledge that you've built over the time um, to get to the final ending, which they call the canon ending. Um, and when you get to that, it's, it's pretty seamless because, yeah, you don't, you don't need to go and do all that legwork again once it's been done. Um, you know, things that you've collected pass with you through each loop and, you know, some of them, uh, the, the, you know, the reagents or the items that you need to solve a puzzle, they don't get diminished. You can use them 100 million times. So if you need to just hand them off every single time you can. So that's what I really liked about it. it felt like you had meaningful progression each time which i think you know in like um another game that i really loved um from from previous years uh hades right you always felt like you're moving forward um in progression and that's what i think this game does really well as well for, for a time loop game it has that sort of feeling of i'm always moving towards my final goal if i keep my eyes on what i'm trying to do and i've got a clear vision um, and it's pretty good at guiding you too if you get lost it actually does have a pretty good hint system as well to kind of guide you in the right direction so yeah for me it's one that i found that um is really enjoyable and i actually 100 it completed it um lo- unlocked everything i possibly could i got a, my full squeeze of a lemon out of uh, the forgotten city uh a, a, as a game that i thought would be um you know i was a shorter experience but because it was so engaging and i wanted to keep uh, experiencing the world, I um, you know, spent more time in it so that I could get everything possible. Something I'm curious about is you mentioned that this started off as a Elder Scrolls Skyrim mod. Now that it's it's like a full game, does it feel like Skyrim at all, or is it completely its own thing and it's used the engine to really you know um, hone in on the mechanics that they're trying to go for that maybe is limited in in the uh, Elder Scrolls engine. Well, it's been rebuilt, um, so it is uh, in Unreal now, uh, rather than the um, the engine that's used for Skyrim. So it's completely new in that sort of thing. Um, I would say it feels that way in terms of game language and game design, um, not in terms of the way it looks. Like it looks like a modern game. The artwork um, is phenomenal. Uh, it looks really like high, high quality designs of the assets and the characters in the world that you're in. Um, so it feels very modern in that respect. It, in terms of just the way that the, the you know the, the quest has been designed and the things that you would do, that would feel familiar to players who've played Bethesda's games before. So in that way, it's like it's a really nice sort of stepping stepping off point for for example if you're um looking if you if you quite liked that format of of doing quests you know mostly it's a talking game right you're solving puzzles that way um but you you do get the opportunity to go and do a little bit of combat in this game um and 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 build up from things from there so that is the forgotten city by modern storyteller that is my pick for game of the year 2021 let me know what you think let's jump into our next game articles to read videos to watch and podcasts to listen to sifter.com.au adam you picked a game that we have actually spoken about on mainstream before and you sung a bit of the praises 
of this uh, this game. Uh, but all those these months on since we first spoke about it, um, you still pick it as your top game of the year. Can you tell me what did you pick for your 2021 game of the year? Yeah. Um. So it's it's been an, it's been a weird year. It's been a weird two years, and it's kind of hard to think about like what is game of the year? What has stood with me? What is like cut through, like, I guess the fog or the haze of the last 12 months, which have really felt in some ways like 24 months. Um, I was, I was reflecting back on things that I played last January and being like, Oh my God, that feels like three years ago. Um, and so I wanted to go with a game that I felt emotionally resonated with me, still stayed with me emotionally. Um, and that when I was playing it, I felt fully consumed by, and was the, it was the only thing I wanted to think about and the only thing I wanted to do for a period of time. And so I ended up picking uh, the debut game from Shedworks uh, called Sable, um, which is uh, a third-person um, exploration game um, set in a gorgeous sci-fi desert world um, with really beautiful artwork and design. It's very reminiscent of Mobius. Um, and you know, I can't quite figure out at first why this game clicked with me so much. I think that it had a bit of that kind of like magic that Breath of the Wild tapped into in the sense that like, here is a wide open place, many planes, many things to see and do. Um, and you're fully free to go and just investigate and kind of, you know, explore and unpack this world with your own pleasure and how you see fit. And and that to me was something that I think I really needed when this game hit, which was kind of like smack bang during Melbourne's sixth lockdown, a very long one that kind of happened from August to October. Um, and this game gave me a feeling of wanderlust, a feeling of exploration, a feeling of being in the outdoors, of nature, of environment, and of subtle, gentle storytelling that I really wanted. It kind of married in really nicely with like ideas around building a world and building characters that have interesting motivations but allowing you the freedom to fill in gaps for yourself this is not like a game that has a narrative that's incredibly dense it's very loose and kind of free form um you play a young girl called sable who is setting off on basically on her right of adulthood her her gliding is what they call it in this world um she gets gifted a, a powerful artifact that allows her to float essentially, and kind of manipulate gravity, which allows you to kind of glide around the environment, which is how you'll explore. You climb and glide in this game, very similar to Breath of the Wild. Um, and you're given like one very basic task, which is go out into the world and seek tokens. Um, and once you have three of the same token, you can turn it into someone who will create a mask for you. And everyone in the societies of the world of Sable wear masks that designate who they are, their identity, their their cultural role in society, whether or not they're a farmer or a guard or an explorer or someone who likes to climb or, um, you know, the list goes on basically. Um, so you kind of sent out with your initial tribal mask and told to explore and collect masks. You can finish this game after you collect your very first mask and kind of uncover none of the map. Or you can do what I did and literally try to see every single thing that is possible in this game and climb up every ridiculous mountain just because they're there and you can. Um, and I found that really gratifying. I felt the idea of like this game stops when I want it to stop to be really satisfying. I enjoyed that concept in terms of how it related to Sable's journey in terms of like it being like a coming of age story. 
uh, to be really satisfying as well, because this is essentially a story that when Sable's ready and has found who she wants to be, she can return to her tribe at any time and then commit to that identity for the rest of her life. And I found that a really fascinating, interesting way to kind of hook you into like when you decide you want to stop with this game. Um, yeah, it, it just fully captivated me and I I still think about it. And so I think that's the reason why it's kind of been my number one. There's only a handful of other games that have kind of had that same throughput for me throughout this year. Um And so, yeah, it just makes sense to me that the game that is like spent the most time in my brain um, and refuses to leave after I finished it gets to be the one that that I pick as as my game of the year. Do you think it was because um, this game was so different that you, you know, it was giving you something completely new or was it because of the familiarity with some of those systems, like you mentioned with the Breath of the Wild, um, that kind of made it fit perfectly for what you needed? Hmm. Yeah, like it's I guess it's not exactly like a game that you would you would say is like bold and inventive in brand new ways. Um it takes the sums of parts of other things, the idea of like um wistful exploration of Breath of the Wild, an open world that is actually full of interesting things and strange like things to pick up or um interesting story elements that, you know, unfold the world around you and and make exploration worthy of doing because it's about you know, piecing together the world. All of these are ideas that have been explored in games like Dark Souls or Breath of the Wild or, you know, a billion other places. The the kind of literary prose and use of, um, you know, narrative from Sable's perspective in conversations that you have with people is something that we've seen before in games too, but something that kind of lended, um, I guess, a sense of, of literary narrative that I really wanted in this game. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Yes, uh, I feel like it, it didn't really achieve anything new. Maybe familiarity is what I craved from it. It kind of ticked off all those boxes that I want when I play like an open world game with a lot of icons, except Sable has no icons and you're just kind of wandering from things you see in the horizon instead. But, you know, I got that same sort of like completionist tick that I do when I play like a a mindless Assassin's Creed game and I want to collect every icon on the map of a zone or when I very recently at the start of this year finished both uh, Insomniac Spider-Man games, Miles Morales and the PlayStation 4 one, um, and completely platinumed both of them because I just wanted to go through that kind of box checking process of collecting everything. I feel like Sable does that in a way that's invisible. The checklist is not there. Um, You don't know what the boxes really are, but the compulsion to see and do everything and have it feel really satisfying was quite high. In a, in a different way. So maybe that's where this game kind of becomes a bit more, I guess, revolutionary and interesting um, rather than kind of um, familiar or comforting, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is interesting, actually, because I've often wondered in open world games and then having that those icons be part of the map and you can see, okay, I'm going to miss three things from this one checkpoint or whatever. But Sable, as you mentioned, you know, you can kind of finish it after you collect the first mask. And I guess that's where that sense of satisfaction comes in. It's because you don't actually know what you've missed. Yeah. And really it's, it's your own interpretation of Sable's journey. It's like you are deciding as this character when she's done with her exploration and when she's done with her gliding essentially, and when she's accomplished her goal. Um, So there's a lot of agency in you and your interpretation of the character you're playing that fits in really nice with the narrative in terms of when you want to full stop this thing. And because there is no like um, 
I guess, yeah, like main story or end boss type situation, you don't feel like that that kind of tension that you do with with other open world games that can feel a little bit weird where I think of Skyrim all the time as like who finished that main campaign or remembers finishing that main campaign. Um, I feel like it took me years before I actually finished the main Skyrim story um, and it was not great. And, you know, when I think about Spider-Man or Spider-Man Miles Morales, I feel like there are moments where I just ignore the main story for like multiple hours so I can just clean up the map. And Sable has none of that because the main story is kind of exploring the map. And you don't really know what you're cleaning up so much as you're like looking for interesting shapes on the actual map itself that might be something, or you're literally looking in the horizon with like a viewfinder to kind of mark compass points on in your field of view that look interesting and worthy of exploration. There's a couple of quests that have marker points, but they're few and far in between. So yeah, I really like that idea of like, here is an interesting world. It's what you make of it. Go out there and and find things. Mm. It has that kind of Abzu vibe. If you've played that game as well, it's just that the, the exploration in and of itself is the reward rather than completing a whole bunch of stuff. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's, Abzu's a good comparison. I think Journey is another great and very obvious comparison because they're both set in the desert. Um, and, <laughs> and yeah, it's it's kind of got that like, yeah, destination is not the point. It's the journey that gets you to the destination. You know where the destination is going to be from the very beginning because the game tells you you're going to go back to your village at the end of the game. So it's kind of like you already know where the end point of, of Sable's journey is going to be. It's about the destination destination. And the decision-making process of who is Sable going to be as a person during that story um, that makes it really compelling. Um, yeah, I I can't get over this game. I think it's really wonderful. Bugs and jankiness aside, which none of it bothered me. Um, you know, it also has a brilliant soundtrack by Japanese Breakfast that I still think about. I think it's one of the best game soundtracks we've had in the last 12 months. So, yeah, great, great listening experience. I guess the last thought for me is just thinking how powerful is it to have the narrative sort of be in tune with player objective, meaning that sometimes you get games where it's like the character itself and the story at hand is going directly opposite of what you're doing in the game, you know, with these different objectives and stuff, but having both of it marry so well, um, do you think that's a really, like a really great way to experience? Yeah, totally. I mean, like, I feel like we're, we're heading back into the territory of, um, very old games discourse around like ludo narrative dissonance around like you know when we when i think all the way back to like uncharted two and three where people like nathan drake's this really nice chill dude who's making jokes but then he like shoots 150 people in the head and (laughs) you know it's it's nice that we're starting to get games that are playing around with you know moving away from that idea i i don't necessarily think ludo narrative dissonance is a bad thing though like I'm fine with suspending my disbelief when when I play certain games and like, you know, and mow down dozens and dozens of people and then my characters are not sociopaths. Um, But it's nice to play a game like Sable that kind of fully commits to what it knows it wants to be and, and kind of leans into it really hard. So that's Sable by Shedworks. That's Adam's pick for 2021 Game of the Year. This is Mainstream. 
And finally, last but not least, Daniel, you've been pulling on your Mjolnir armor, uh, jumping out of all sorts of different things. Uh, can you tell me, if people haven't picked it up already, what is your pick for 2021 Game of the Year? My pick for 2021 Game of the Year is Halo Infinite. Um, I haven't, I didn't play many new games in 2021. I like to play a lot of old games, and then the Master Chief Collection was one of them. And uh, when Halo Infinite came out, I jumped straight into that. And uh, look, so my my experience with the Halo franchise as a whole is I played Halo One probably a lot sooner than I should have. I was I don't even know like how old I was, six or seven or something. I can't remember. But since then, you know, it's it's been one of those things where I'm sure, like many of us, we've grown up on Halo and we have the very strong attachment to it. Um, I didn't play Halo 5, so I hadn't really been in touch with the franchise for a while until, like I mentioned, the Master Chief Collection came out on Steam. And I was playing through a lot of the campaigns again with uh, my friend and my brother. And when Halo Infinite finally came out and I played it, I had that familiar feeling of just what it was like being a Halo fan in sort of like 2007 at the height of Halo 3 and then Halo 3 ODST and Halo Reach, like those three games in particular were very, very influential on me. Um, not so much Halo 1 and 2, just because of, again, I was probably too young to understand what was even happening. But um, returning to Halo Infinite felt like coming home <laughs> in a very strange sort of sort of sense. And it, it has to do with the art style. It has to do with the gameplay tweaks that they made. It feels a lot better to move around and shoot things and... I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I've been thinking about it a lot as well. Just the whole narrative and how they made it and everything in there and the characters and what it means for the franchise going forward. There's some story stuff that is set up that I think is really interesting. Um, I suppose the, the new bad guys of this game is the banished. It's no longer the covenant. It's still the same species of, you know, you got the elites and the grunts and the jackals and brutes and everything like that. But it just feels like this is what Halo needed. And it also feels like 343 has kind of found their stride and has really started to hit it because Halo 4, as was, you know, it was interesting for me, but I felt like it didn't really have that bungee sort of thing that made it special. You know, as Joseph Staten says, that like 30 seconds of fun. Um, and I think now they've really managed to to hone in on that and it just feels good to play Halo again. Um, what I am really curious about is, you, you know, obviously this is ticking a lot of the nostalgia buttons for you, but the the modern elements that they've introduced, um, where like, quite clearly they've been influenced by uh, newer titles as well. Um, how did the, the new abilities like, um, you know, the grapple or the sliding and all of that sort of stuff uh, fit into the way that you, you understand what a Halo game to be and, and your play experience of that game? Mm. So since Halo 3, you know, they started experimenting with equipment types. And if you remember, they had like the pancake, which was the trip mine, or they had the bubble shield and stuff. You know, that was pretty, pretty iconic. But I think for this game, particularly in Halo Infinite, the grapple shot is kind of the star. And it just feels really good to move around. And especially because it's gone open world, you kind of need that extra traversal mechanic. Um, and, and so for me, it makes like a lot of sense. It has uses in combat. It has uses in exploration. Um, the other equipment types, not so much. Like you can still, you know, get around using them. And particularly some of the boss battles, like you need to use all of the equipment. But I just think that I welcome it, welcome it with open arms. And if you remember when Halo, uh, Halo Reach, sorry, added Sprint, there was like a lot of community debate going around about the new modern elements that they were adding to it. 
And I think we've largely gone past that. Like sprint seems to be okay in Halo now. <laughs> and the grapple shot just feels a very, very natural extension from it. Um, just, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just, it's nice to use. It's really satisfying. Almost like the Leviathan axe in God of War or swinging around a Spider-Man more, you know, literally. Um, feels like it makes sense. Um, just like Sable, in a way, this is a, a game that is open world, but it is populated with lots of little dots on the map um, in addition to that campaign story that you can play through. Can you tell me what sort of things were you drawn to first um, or was it just sort of a mix and match between sort of completing campaign missions and, and then, um, you know, completing the objectives that are in this uh, open world of Delta Halo? Mm, I... I feel like I'm sort of with Adam on this one where I, whenever I see that there's like a story mission checkpoint, you know, and like I have to go here to start, you know, follow the the next objective. I like to do everything around it and then go there when I feel ready, just because I know that um, when I finish a game, when I finish the storyline, even though I could go back and theoretically play around in the open world, I just don't have that motivation anymore to run around and do things. And so I kind of like to time at least in a lot of my playthroughs, finishing all the objectives by the time I finish the main quest. And sometimes it's hard to tell. So basically, the things that I really like to do is just getting all the Marines, getting all of the extra bosses that you have, um, liberating all the outposts, so to speak, and finding all of the Spartan cores. I'm pretty sure I actually had like a fully upgraded Master Chief before I even got halfway of the campaign, <laughs> just because like I just put a lot of time into doing all that sort of stuff. Um, and I guess... After a while, it can feel a little bit samey, a little bit repetitive, but that's kind of what Halo is. Like for what it is, which is like an open world Halo game, everything kind of feels like it has its place and they feel different enough between objectives um, that it feels fresh a little bit. Like, you know, the combat stays the same and there's not really that much freedom as far as other open world titles and stuff. But for what it's trying to do, I think it does it really well. Do you have a favorite moment where something just happened to go exactly your way or, or something that really you you think about, you know, after finishing this game and, and sort of moving on to other play, things to play? Yeah, there's a, there's a few actually. Um, just because, again, of that open world nature, there are some things that, you know, you can have a lot more freedom as far as how you want to tackle certain objectives. I think there was one point where I was scaling this really, really tall mountain and right at the top, they put a sniper rifle there. So I picked it up and I was looking through the scope and I just, I saw a jackal and shot him immediately and went down there to kind of clear out the rest of the enemies and realized that he was the boss <laughs> of that area. And I just accidentally, well, didn't accidentally shoot him, but I got rid of him without thinking about it. And then just realized like, oh man, like there's so many different ways to approach this. And I could have gone in, you know, with a like a Razorback full of Marines and jumped off with rocket launchers and destroyed him. But there's all these different little surprises that I have throughout the campaign that felt it felt the, like the world was kind of alive in in itself, and um, there's just something really different about exploring a Halo ring compared to different maps in, in in other games that I really appreciated. Standing really close to the edge and looking down and just seeing it go directly into the oblivion of space is really special, and I just think that um, there's a lot of different moments like that in the game. Another one that comes to mind is just sort of when you get in the flow state of combat, because like I mentioned with the grapple shot and other bits of equipment, there's a lot of different things that you can use to approach any different combat scenario, and especially the guns that you have on hand as well. But once you really get into it and you're moving around and you're dodging and you're sliding and you're throwing down the shield 
and shooting the motion tracker around a corner and seeing there's like five enemies there. Getting in those kinds of little um, moment-to-moment gameplay was really what made this game feel special to me. Um, who do you think this game is for? Is it for people with that nostalgia or do you think there's enough in it uh, that uh, new players could come on uh, and, and start to enjoy Halo for what it is? I definitely think there's something for everybody, uh, new and old players alike. Definitely with the uh, the old players that they've gone back to the original art style. That's something that I really, really appreciated. Um, and seeing the elite designs again, especially Master Chief in his original armor is really nice. And just the music and everything. But if you're new to Halo and you pick it up and play it, I think it's still going to feel good. Like the actual gameplay itself is really, really nice. Compared to other open world games, though, it might be lacking a little bit if you're expecting a lot out of this game. Like um, you might feel like a lot of the stuff feels a little bit repetitive um, and and just the little checkpoints are kind of there, which they are, but it's still just an excuse to go shoot more, you know, aliens in the face. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I enjoy that sort of stuff, but I do think that people can find enjoyment regardless of which side of the fence they are sitting on. So that is Halo Infinite by 343, and that is Daniel's pick for 2021 Game of the Year. You're listening to Mainstream by Sifter. Visit us on sifter.com.au. So tell us what you reckon. This has been Mainstream by Sifter. This is part two of our Game of the Year episode. If you want to go back and have a listen to the other half of the team and see what they chose, uh, have a listen to that in your podcast feed right now. Uh, Mainstream, we normally talk about these uh, games that we've been playing. Um, Each week we will look at a title. Uh, Each episode we'll look at a title um, and invite guests along to see what their experiences are with playing these games um, and give you a bit of an insight into to what these games meant to us and what impact they've had. Uh, thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the mainstream theme music. Now, Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Bartholomew, Daniel Ang, Adam Christou. Mitchell Lowe is our senior producer. And my name is Gianni Giovanni, and I'm the executive producer. And uh, Daniel, if people want to find uh, Sifter on social media, where can they go to? You can give Sifter a follow on social media as well as at SifterHQ on Twitter or Instagram or join us and discuss your favorite games in the Sifter Discord. So visit sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. That's sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. And Adam, we have another podcast as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we've got a podcast called Lightmap and it's really sick. Uh, it's, it's a podcast where we talk to game developers, creatives, and people who are just doing really interesting and cool things in interactive media and games. Uh, you can go to your podcast player and type in Sifter. That'll give you the ability to find Lightmap. And you can also give us a follow there. And you can get every episode of Lightmap and Mainstream for free on your podcast player of choice. We've got a website as well where you can find articles like our 2021 list of every single Australian-made video game that we could find. We spent months and months and months working on it, collecting every game that came out last year. So if you want to pick up an Australian-made title, that's the best place for you to go to. It's at sifter.com.au. There's also articles, uh, videos, uh, live streams, all of that and more. So that's sifter.com.au. And if you want to support the work that we do, the independent journalism that we do, um, you can do so by heading to the Sifter store. That's sifter.store. We've got some really amazing, unique uh, video game inspired designs uh, created by local Australian de- uh, designers. Uh, and you can grab a shirt with a design on that. And every shirt you buy contributes directly to us being able to make more episodes of Lightmap 
to travel to more events, to talk to more uh, developers all around the world. So that's sifter.store to support uh, some independent journalism in Australian gaming media. That's all the time we have for mainstream this time around this is our game of the year episode part two tell us what you thought was the best game of 2021 in our discord we'd love to hear from you but until next time have fun if you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game you have to check out mini motorways on apple arcade It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.